CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, I'm Zach Seward. You're watching Coindesk TV. We have a little bit of a special edition here today. We are coming to you from Coindesk's Investing in Digital Enterprises and Assets Summit. That's right. That's the Ideas event. It's underway today in New York City. And over the next two days, we're going to hear from the best investment ideas across Web3, blockchain, digital assets, crypto infrastructure, digital economy at large, all that jazz. I'm Zach. I'm joined by Jen Sanasi, Will Foxley, and Wendy O. We're going to get this thing started. Jen, with some special guests, what do we got? All right. So as you perfectly noted, Coindesk's Ideas Conference is underway. We can see it there on our video. Well, not right now, but it was just there on the screen. We're starting off today's show with a DAO that's participating in the conference, StoryDAO. They're on a mission to create DAOs where communities own, participate, and create in story-based IP that becomes as culturally relevant as Star Wars, Pokemon, or The Simpsons. Joining us now are JP Alanis and Justin Alanis, StoryDAO's co-creators, to tell us more about their creation. Hello, guys. Hey, how are you? Good afternoon. We are fantastic. I think the first question that comes to my mind is why do we need a DAO to do this? Creators have been coming together, I think, for as long as IP has existed in creating IP. Why do we need a DAO? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has to do a lot with the changes that have happened in Hollywood for the last uh, decade, essentially. You know, streaming has come in and created a completely new economic model around content. You know, creators used to be able to participate in the downstream revenue success of, of what they were creating. And now streamers own your content, you know, in every territory around the world and in perpetuity. And so there's no back-end participation anymore for creators. So what we're trying to do is, is create an IP incubation platform that allows creators to co-own the IP that they create and allows communities to come in and not only experience that IP, but actually participate in the, in the IP creation and actually co-own the IP themselves as well. 
I'll right, check back in. I was going to let I want okay, in. Jen, I thought you were going to take the follow-up. Come on. I was, hey, I was I want in. When, when I want in. All right. All right. Jen, that pregnant pause was too much. All right, Wendy, <laughs> you take it, and then I'll jump in after that. Go for it. I actually think that this is a really great idea because I am a content creator. I create on YouTube, on TikTok, Twitter, a little bit, you know, a little bit, um, Instagram, Facebook, and it would actually be cool to own my content because I'm still utilizing a third party to push it out to the masses. But it might be cool to actually own some of these content pieces, especially some of the educational ones, and let my community do whatever it is they want to do with it. How would I, as a YouTuber, how is that something that I would do? And either of you can answer this. I I think, well, first of all, I think as a creator, what you're experiencing through YouTube and the other mediums that you're creating in is not too dissimilar from other amazing creators out there where they're trying to monetize their creations in ancillary ways. And those platforms become great distribution mechanisms, but the content itself is not monetized. And so what we want to do within StoryDAO is take all that creative energy that exists out there with UGC user-generated content, similar to the way that you're creating content for YouTube with uh, your committed community of fans, but then removing the middlemen from the ecosystem and allowing then the creators to co-own the actual platform and connect directly to the fans of that content. What we've seen in Hollywood is not just a problem on the creator side where creators are getting squeezed from a back-end royalty perspective and also they're getting squeezed creatively where their voices aren't getting heard and they're having to resort to going to UGC platforms like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. But we're also seeing a problem on the fan side as well where the content, fans want to get closer to that content than ever before. They want to experience it. They maybe want to co-create. We see this through cosplay. We see this through fan fiction. We see it through fan art today. But right now, the content relationship is really a one-way street. So what, what the new blockchain and DAOs and NFTs and tokens allow for is it allows not just creators to overcome those obstacles, but also fans to engage in a more intimate way with that content, content and, and actually produce value around that content as well. All right, I'm going to hit you with a question because I'm, I'm very curious about this. Curious if you're watching the CFTC versus UkiDAO thing. And questions around whether DAOs can operate legally as we dream them to exist here in the U.S. specifically. As it relates to sort of the regulatory context around DAOs and shared IP ownership, what's your current thinking on that? How are you approaching this? Seems to be a bit more fraught of a landscape following this CFTC action. So we're, tra- we're tracking and monitoring all that closely. Unfortunately, within the United States, especially right now, we're operating in tremendous gray area. I think the underlying ethos is that you want to make sure that you're not tripping over securities laws, right? And you have to make sure that the value that's being created actually goes to the people, the ownership actually goes to the people who are actually creating that value. I think that's one of the central pillars of what we're creating. should also note that StoryDAO today is a centralized company. We're using NFTs and we're using DAOs to create the new universes of IP creation in order to facilitate a community of creatives that co-owns this IP through NFTs and through a rewards and incentive system on our platform. But we are trying to navigate a very uncertain um, area right now. We're tracking all of this stuff that's happening with Yuga Labs, with the SEC very closely. So as to make sure that if we have to, for example, KYC, uh, all of the people who have co-creation and co-ownership of the platform, that we're able to do that and we're able to anticipate it ahead of time. 
You know, when we talk about streaming services, I've noticed that they are kind of moving away from, from the model where they fund your entire project and keep the IP. They're more saying, go out, fund your project, come back to us when it's done. We'll license that IP from you in whatever different jurisdiction. When I think about DAOs, I think there's a real opportunity here for that funding piece. Are you, how are you thinking about funding creators so that they can keep that IP going as streaming services move away from this business model? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I think some streamers are moving away from that business model. I think there's a lot of streamers that still want to own all of that content, especially if they're the ones that are developing that content. But I think when you talk about streamers right now, you know, they want to make sure bets. What does a sure bet on content look like? It looks like something that has kind of been proven out in another medium. So that looks like maybe a comic book or uh, maybe a novel or uh, a YouTube show, maybe. And they're looking for something that has an ingrained community already within it. And so we feel like DAOs are the perfect sort of mechanism in order to be able to provide those two proof of concepts that streamers are really looking for in order to greenlight something. The way that people participate in, in the DAOs um, that we're going to be creating uh, on the StoryDAO platform is that uh, you know, IP always starts with centralized creators, right? And so those centralized creators uh, tell a story that takes place in a narrative universe. That, na that story onboards a community of, of creatives and those creators, those centralized creators, are able to sell NFTs that will eventually represent maybe that underlying ownership of that IP downstream. And yeah, that's how we're setting up uh, these DAOs within StoryDAO. And just like Hollywood is a network that lives right now off of the blockchain, where you have creators that are full, you, it's full of all sorts of creators. You have writers, you have editors, you have animators, you have VFX specialists. You also have producers, people who come in and help those creations become successful. What we're trying to do at StoryDAO is recreate the fabric of that network, but on the blockchain where you're removing all the middlemen who choke all the revenue and creation out of the system. They create a, a, a separation between the creators and the fans. And what we're trying to do is bring those people together, where you have people who are producing the actual production by buying NFTs, perhaps, and then by actually helping and becoming a brain trust of creatives uh, around that platform and helping the centralized creators, and then it, engaging and, and creating attachment points for new creatives to come onto the platform to extend those stories in a fan fiction sort of way so that they can build out backstories and side stories and all sorts of different realities within a universe that maybe they vibe with. So that IP universe can expand in all sorts of different ways in a networked way. Justin, JP, thanks so much for joining us today. One follow-up question, Crypto Winters here. How is it impacting the DAO you guys are creating? Is it hurting the influence of the social tokenomics you guys are building? Is it hurting like, the NFT drops? How do you guys navigate this uncertain landscape? The crypto winter has been interesting. It has created a situation where I think fundraising is tougher. You have to be further along in terms of where you are from a business perspective in order to raise money, even if you're an established entrepreneur or a creative executive like JP and myself. Uh, but it also creates a ton of opportunity. In the bear market, we saw all sorts of different projects that had no business raising the amount of money that they did from NFT buyers. And what we saw is it was mostly speculators. It's mostly people who are there just to make money. And what we're trying to build is something long lasting that we hope is 10, 20, maybe even 100 years in the future, a stable and robust platform. And so what we've decided to do is really start our creative network with creatives. 
And so we started a producer token community. We sold a set of NFTs for 0.1 ETH and we handpicked our early community of 300 people. It's all creatives from all around the world. And so the bear market created an amazing opportunity to move away from the speculation game that I think was happening in the bull market and move more towards really dedicated early community that really wants to be in this for the long term and building that community from the inside of StoryDAO and starting to work our way out. What's the reception been like from creators? Do they actually understand what's going on in this DAO? It takes a second, honestly, especially for traditional Hollywood creators. I mean, I've been in Hollywood my whole life. Um, and I think it takes a second, but I think as soon as you really tell them what the opportunity is, not only from a, a revenue standpoint, right? I mean, I think all creators feel this. Uh, I think you're going to see a writer strike in the next couple of years here when, when the WGA uh, renegotiates their deals. So I, I think you're, you're seeing something happen within the fabric of Hollywood. I think all creators feel that. But I think when you start to talk to them about what this opens up creatively as well, you know, I think creators don't love getting network notes from a bunch of studio executives that, you know, sometimes there's a, a complete regime change within that studio. Sometimes you're getting notes from a, a whole bunch of different people that are competing notes. I mean, as a creator, I think I would rather get notes from who could, uh, people who could potentially be my audience, people who are fans of me, the end user. I'd rather be getting notes from those people than from uh, Hollywood executives. Um, and I think we're creating a system where we're not only fixing um, the revenue opportunity for those creators, but we're fixing a creative problem as well. And I think once you once you explain that uh, to a creator, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty of of DAOs and blockchain because you know I think there's so much um, at least in the creator community there's a lot of trepidation when you start talking about NFTs and and crypto. But when you start talking about the fundamentals, uh, I think that's when a lot of ears perk up, um, and creators are I think excited to work in this way once we get past that sort of crypto barrier. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation, I think, out there right now about DAOs and NFTs, especially within the creator set. Um, and I think it, this goes back to the previous question about the bull market versus the bear market, where in the bull market, people just saw a lot of scams and a lot of speculation that was happening, and they didn't take it seriously. But the underlying technology that we're working off of here, I think, can be abstracted away um, and have it feel like a native product experience that people are used to, used to engaging with. But under the hood, there's these really powerful new techno technological paradigms that are empowering co-ownership, co-collaboration, open access, open ownership, new things that were never before possible before the blockchain opened up these new technologies. Definitely some interesting stuff happening in the DAO space. JP, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. That was JP and Justin Alanese, co-creators of StoryDAO from Coindesk's Ideas Conference. All right. Thank you, guys. We're going to switch gears now over to Zach. Hey, it's me. Let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about Aptos. Big old new blockchains in town. They're launching and it's going live and everybody's talking about it. And it is interesting. The battle for the base layer heating up the couple of new entrants to the market who are based on the move programming language, which emerged from the Libra project out of Facebook. Definitely sentiment out here on, uh, on Aptos has been interesting to watch on Twitter. I think a lot of doubt, maybe a lot of, uh, a lot of angst out here on this one, but certainly this is going live and we're going to talk about it. All right, Will, I'm throwing it to you. What are you thinking about Aptos going live 
this one has been watched pretty closely, has received quite a bit of funding from the world of venture capital, and is now approaching mainnet. What are you thinking? L1s are back, baby. It's time to talk about L1s once again. That happens like every bear market, I feel like. you know. But last year, we did have like the big Solana, Luna, AVAX trade that a lot of people are pumping around, kicking the tires and that thing. But now we have some Biddle season and everyone's talking about transaction throughput. They're talking about scalability. They're talking about the devs, where they came from, their backstories. And Aptos has a lot of this, right? It's touting you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. It's touting former meta employees who are building Meta's former ambitions for its own L1. And you know, it's got an interesting story with some of the stuff it did at the end of the DeFi bear market as well, or DeFi bull market, I should say. So there's there's some momentum around this chain, definitely. That being said, I'm a little bearish on all L1s right now because there's so much stuff to work through from the bull market. Like it was a pretty brutal exit from the bull market going into the bear market. A lot of these L1s collapsed. We only saw Bitcoin and Ethereum really hold up in terms of their narratives. And even Bitcoin kind of took a nosedive, right? Remember talking about Bitcoin being some sort of inflation hedge? That's not really working. So why talk about yet another L1? Uh, What's that going to do for anyone? The one thing that's also interesting about Aptos is that it kind of had a bad launch date where a lot of people said it was going to be able to push through hundreds of thousands of transactions. Turns out there's only like four going through at a time. And those four transactions per second seem to be relegated to like some developer work on it. So no one's really quite using it yet. And there's also questions about the tokens itself. A lot of the tokens on the network are staked. And staked tokens typically are relegated to a VC's wallet, and then they're dumped later on. So I think we have a lot of questions to go through before we see Aptos do anything. That being said, the birth of an L1 is interesting, and we'll see what happens with it. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you. Get your take on this. So it might not be an ideal time to launch an L1, but I think that a bear market is actually a perfect time. And the reason why is there's not like a whole lot of chatter going on. And this project seems to have gotten a lot of chatter, especially from crypto Twitter. Again, I am a hopeless romantic when it comes to entrepreneurism, when it comes to people creating, when it comes to capitalism, when it comes to positive competition. And I like the idea of layer ones directly competing because it forces the OGs, it forces the ones that have been around longest to kind of step their game up. So me personally, I will be watching how this project launches. I'll be watching all of the different things that they continue to create and develop and see if they can directly compete with some of the big dogs like Ethereum. I'm curious what you guys think about these grand statements that set these grand expectations when it comes to layer ones. And immediately it's like the product launches and everyone is disappointed. And it feels like the cycle that we go through. Like, do do you feel like there should be more of, I guess, like a soft launch, or maybe we should be more realistic so that we don't set ourselves up for, for this type of disappointment again and again? Nah, hater, haters gonna hate. There's always gonna be something. There's always gonna be something. You're assembling these planes in flight. There's always gonna be something. Test nuts are test nuts for a reason, and people come out for the main net and show up. I think the funny thing about Aptos, right? We're seeing sort of chatter. Remember Ethereum killer? Remember when that was sort of a term of art in crypto? Aptos is not aiming for that. It's aiming to be the Solana killer. And whether or not that actually comes to pass, I think would be the interesting thing to watch on this one. But I got to throw it to Wendy for her last thoughts on this whole thing. I think that the crypto community should know by now technology is hard. Being a dev is hard and things don't always go according to plan. So if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, just because you're reading all these MSN headlines, you're going to get absolutely wrecked. Sometimes it's good to take a step back and just kind of watch things progress. You don't have to ape in. You can watch. 
no action is an action at times. And sometimes you're going to become a lot more well-versed if you take a step back and you watch how these things continue to develop over time. All right, let's take a step back. Let's take a break. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. So Doquan denies claims that he is on the run from law enforcement, despite Interpol issuing a red notice for his arrest. And apparently on a recent podcast, he explained he moved to Singapore from South Korea before the terror collapse. And he said, in quote, there's no reason why any government official would believe we fled to Singapore and also denied claims that authorities froze his Bitcoin and they moved um, LFG funds to Gemini. There's a lot of the same here. I, as a person that likes to critically think i just don't understand why you have all this like news coming out about you but you keep going on and talking about it i don't know if he's really wanted by interpol i don't know exactly what's happening because i'm not in those countries um but at the same time i probably would consult pr or my legal team and probably not talk i don't know though it's <laughs> anybody take this at this point please i got you i got you you know, we've, we've talked about this headline a few times before, and because the story's not really changing, I do think that's important, though, right? We don't know where he's at. No one's grabbed him yet, and yet there's arrest warrants out for him. It tells you a little bit about the pseudonymity in crypto and also the ability to hide with funds. If you have your Bitcoin or your Ether or whatever you have, your Terra Luna, you have your password to it, you can just go wherever and just camp out and sit back and tweet, turn off your location, of course. And then maybe even go on a popular podcast in crypto authoritarian and tell your side of the story. I think that tells you about like who the bad guys are in crypto these days. They still have access to everybody because of the platforms they build, even though nobody wants to be around them anymore. I think every time we see these tweets from Doquan, that's what I'm reminded of is a lot of times these people, they go behind bars. We don't hear about Bernie Madoff anymore. 
uh, he disappeared, right? But we do hear about these people who are in crypto because they still have access to everybody. I think there's a little ego too. They still want their story to be told. Shout out to Lorshin for this uh, pretty great interview. Looking forward to watching more of it as it rolls out. My first take on it from the clips I did see was that he was apologetic. Doquan was apologetic, but not overly apologetic. It's sort of that still like that same defiance was was characteristic in this interview. Zach, I'm gonna throw it up to you. Get your take on it. I saw I saw Jen. I'm gonna give it to Jen. She snagged it. <laughs> I'll go very quickly. I just think we should stop giving Do Kwan a platform. He's told us his story. He says he's not on the run. He's received no documentation. He thinks that regulators are out to lunch. I think we should just let him go into hiding. I feel like he's feeding off of this a little bit, you know? Like, if he really was remorseful, I, I just... I don't know that I, if I felt the way that he claims to feel that I would be out there on podcasts continuously saying that I've, I, you know, I'm taking responsibility, but really I did nothing wrong. And if you look at the law, it, it really confirms that I did nothing wrong. I think it also speaks to the issues with uh, crypto law, right? He says that it's politically motivated. He pointed to the fact that what's happened, happening doesn't operate within the current framework of the law in South Korea. And that's just it. We see it happening in the US too. Things that are happening that don't fit into the current framework of the law are being regulated, I guess, by enforcement. That doesn't really make sense. But I, get, I, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Regulators are, enfor are enforcing against projects and then we're getting some clarity out of that. I think that's what's going to happen with Doquan. Zach, I'm going to send it up to you. Maybe you can make me make a little bit more sense and add some, some of your own thoughts into there. I got nothing. I'm just going to put this. Okay. We're, we're putting this segment down. We're putting this one. Oh, oh, oh Wendy, coming back I, in at the 11th hour. What do you got? I just want to say um, regulate your mom if you want to regulate your mom or something oh. like that. I don't even know. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what in the hell? All right. Well, this, this right, segment we took a turn. <laughs> well, please save us. What do you got? A deep crypto Twitter reference. I did not want to think about this morning. Okay. Let's talk about the EU. In proof of work disclosure, I do work for a mining company. So, you know, I've got my opinions on this topic. The EU is really struggling with energy. That's no secret at all from the Ukrainian Russo conflict going on right now. There's been a lot of energy crunches. The price of retail electricity within Europe has been skyrocketing. There's Bloomberg charts all over Twitter if you are interested in finding out more about that. And that's going to impact certain industries, of course, those that are energy intensive. As of right now, a lot of energy-intensive resources and factories within Europe have actually been shut off, or they've started turning off parts of their manufacturing in order to reduce the pull from the grid. But now we're seeing some notes from the EU talking about how Bitcoin miners might also be pushed to turn off because of the high energy rates within Europe. This is an interesting report because it really does tell you how integrated Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are into everyday life now. We might not think about it as much. You might only think about Bitcoin when you're scrolling on your phone and you see a ticker symbol for BTC pop up. But the reality is that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are more or less baked into a lot of the infrastructure we use nowadays, whether that be financial or even on the energy grid side. So that itself, I think, is just the notable part for the story. I think for Bitcoin miners, this isn't really shocking. A lot of Bitcoin miners have been leaving Europe for quite a while. They are in Europe. They're basically in like the northern reaches of like Scandinavia, where there's really cheap energy. But there's basically a very tiny footprint of Bitcoin miners in Europe because energy is pricey over there. Even before this conflict, it was pretty pricey. 
Jen, I'm going to throw it over to you. If you have a question for me, I'm going to be upset. I, I want an observation from you. I need something. I have so many questions. <laughs> I think, well, it comes with an observation. I think as we move into the winter months, we right, we use more energy. And so are we going to see miners? Maybe not in Europe. You've, you've now educated me that there aren't a lot of miners in Europe to begin with. But are we going to see another migration of miners as we move into the colder months and see them set up shop? A, somewhere that's going to be more cost efficient to operate their mining and B, where legislation is a little bit easier on them. It just really feels like Europe is cracking down on crypto. They're moving much quicker than the rest of the world when it comes to regulation. Where are the miners going to go? Yeah, more distressed miners. I, I think this is a nice parallel with the United States, China, and then Europe. We have different policies. China booted Bitcoin miners because they're authoritarian. and They didn't want Bitcoin to be there. The United States has embraced Bitcoin because we have more of like a free markets open ethos about us uh, in the US at least. And then in Europe, I don't think they're anti-Bitcoin in any sense. It's just that it's expensive and they don't have the energy production over there to be able to sustain Bitcoin. And so what you'll probably see is like a lot of Bitcoin miners in Europe either go to the United States, South America. There's actually a growing Bitcoin mining scene in Africa because Africa is very energy dense. And then Northern Europe, like I said, there's a lot of energy in the North Sea, Northern Scandinavia, a lot of oil and gas up there, a lot of hydro. So I think that's where they're going to go. But this is not going to be anything like we saw in 2021, where we saw like all these Bitcoin miners pack up and, and move east. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you. I think a lot of people are going to end up going to El Salvador, places like that, that are using like 100% natural energy or however that looks like. I also don't think that this just has to do with energy or the environment. I feel like it's also a, a control factor by a lot of these different um, governing bodies. Because let's face it, Bitcoin is really one of the true decentralized cryptocurrencies in the market. We know CBDCs are coming. Um, each government, each area is going to want to have their own CBDC. They're going to want to have control. And Bitcoin directly kind of competes with that and says, no, this is not a good thing. You don't need to use a CBDC. So. I feel like it's more so of control and it has less to do with the environment and energy. And I'm not denying climate change isn't real, not denying there's not an energy problem. I just feel like there's more efficient ways to use energy. But the way governments are set up, even on a global scale, there's so much red tape now, it's going to be a lot harder to do those things. And again, I don't think we've seen Bitcoin miner capitulation yet. I do think that will still happen in this bear market. And then we'll kind of see a regroup of the Bitcoin miners. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way or not, Will, but I definitely believe something like that is coming. I just want to talk about the energy efficiency label. That was the part that stood out to me from this announcement. Uh, energy efficiency label for blockchains. It's going to be like smoking, Will. It's going to be like proof of work kills. <laughs> and there's going to be some picture of like climate crisis in some country that is analogous to that picture of like blackened lungs and like dying people on a pack of cigarettes. So if you want that on your Bitcoin... This is gonna make mm. that happen. I'm excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty punk rock. <laughs> what do you think, Will? You cool with that? It's not good. I no? I think that's what's gonna happen. I don't know really know what's gonna look like. They put like little stickers on ASIC boxes and yeah. you know, that's yeah. how we'll roll it out. Yeah. But I do I think it, to take it more more seriously, I guess there's there is like dishwashers do that and so do like washing machines. So maybe that's what's you're coming about, out, right? You know? You're about to say oh, yeah. you're about to you're about to do the Bitcoin, the line about how, you know, uh Dry, dryers, electric dryers consume oh, far true. more energy than Bitcoin mining ever would. You were, just, you were right on the cusp of doing that. That would have been so great. So close, but I'm not that cliche. Close so does my printer from 1998. Nice, nice. Does it have the little, um, 
little holes on the end there. One of those I ones. think it's called Dot Matrix. Dot Matrix. Yes. I don't Technology. Know, I made it up. Uh, We're old. All right. You guys are dating yourselves. <laughs> this is a crypto now. <laughs> all right. Let's go play some Oregon Trail, the one with the green and the black screen from elementary Too school. Too much electricity. Bad. We love it. Grid down. All right. Let's turn this thing off. We'll shut it down. We'll minimize our footprint here on Coindesk TV. That's it for the hash today. Thanks for being with us here on Tuesday. Uh, we've had some special guests from Ideas, which is fantastic. Check that out. A lot of content coming from there. If you're in New York, drop in on the Ideas Summit by Coindesk. I'm Zach. Jandy with the thumb. Whoa. Wendy with the thumbs up. Jandy. There's Jandy. There's we need to get Jandy. off. We need to get out of here now. Jandy. It's an alter of them two together. <laughs> Jandy, we did it. All right, anyway, that's it. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm Zach. I'm, I'm going away now. All right, bye. Okay, bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.